Welcome to Locked on Big Board. My name is Richard Stamen. This is my first episode. I'm replacing Raphael as a fair warning. On this episode, Leaf and I are going, Leaf Tuin and I are going to give you scouting reports on JD Davison, Harrison Ingram, and Daylon Terry. Coming up on this episode of Locked on Big Board. You are Locked on NBA Big Board, part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Your team every day. Welcome to Locked On Big Board. My name is Richard Stamen, joined by Leif Tulin. Thank you for making us your first listen of today, this Wednesday. Uh, you know, this is my first time doing this on this show. In case you're unfamiliar, we have rebranded. Uh, Raphael is out today. He is coming back to the States. If you heard our episode yesterday with me on there, um, he is uh, he's packing up and he's coming home. So for draft season, he'll be back and everything. But uh, for now, you've got me and Leaf. This is the old Tuesday squad on Locked On NBA Draft. Leaf, what you got for me? I'm excited, man. The rebrand, we're going to get just the same basketball coverage for you and and hopefully more listeners to, to delve into the depths of our brains between us two, Raphael, and, and everyone involved. So I'm excited to talk about the, the draft with you even more. Yeah, likewise. And uh, so why don't we just dive right into it? So for today's episode, like I said, we're going to do three separate scouting reports. We're going to try and make this kind of quick for you. Uh, we're going to start off with Harrison Ingram. Harrison Ingram's a really intriguing wing out of Dallas, Texas. He plays for Stanford. He's in half of locked on NBA drafts, uh, or excuse me, locked on big board. Got to get that through my head. Uh, our backyard in St. Mark's High School in Dallas, which is uh, just kind of in central Dallas. I never got to see him in high school, even though I told myself for years I would go and see a game of his. I couldn't bring myself to it because, like, the Mavs were playing or something. So uh, a little bit mad at myself. But I did make the trip down to Baylor when he was there in, in November. And I was impressed. The stats don't do him justice. Uh, I'm going to read these stats, and you're going to be kind of like, really? This guy's a first-round prospect? Uh, so he averaged 10.5 points per game, three assists per game, just under seven rebounds per game, one steal a game. And that was on 39% shooting, 31% from three, and 66% from the free throw line. And he's 6'8", 230. Leaf, why don't you – I know you're a Stanford fan, so you have a lot of insight on um, Harrison Ingram. But talk to me about what you like. And let's start with the pros on Harrison Ingram. Yeah, he's got an NBA-ready body, I think, is the first thing. that As a freshman, he was already using his body to bully defenders and get to the rim. Defensively, he's switchable. And I think one thing that provides a lot of the knocks on him is, oh, he's not the most efficient scorer. Oh, he's not like, in, if you look at synergy stats, he's not the best isolation score. He's average by percentile. Uh, his half court efficiency offensively is not great. Well, what, what they asked him to do is be a star as a freshman who likes to play role play, uh, role playing minutes. Like he was on the uh, FIBA U19 team and he came off the bench and he provided excellent minutes there playing a role. He wasn't meant to be the star with the ball in his hands. And that's what he was forced to be at Stanford. And there were times where he excelled in that position because of individual talent. He took over games late and sent a few games into overtime and was very good in the clutch minutes. But that said, his bread and butter is playing defense, being a secondary facilitator, being steady and being able to score in a multitude of ways. His shot has good form. It's not the most like beautiful result yet, but there's building blocks. And then I think he can score from 
at, near the rim. He's got really good finishing ability. He's very good in transition. And he's got a interesting kind of mid post game where he can pass out of there. And he's a, like I mentioned, he's a secondary facilitator at six, eight, and he can be one of your better defenders at the next level as well. Yeah. And with Ingram, you kind of touched on a lot of the points. I mean, the synergy stats, I'll, I'll read more stats to you, which I know everybody loves listening to on a podcast, but uh, 20th percentile in pick and roll ball handling. This is probably his best one in real sample size, which is spot up shooting 53rd percentile, which is like fine. Uh, post up, he was 18th percentile, and this is all in descending order of most frequent play types he ran. Offensive rebounds, 27th percentile, uh, and then cuts in isolation, 74th percentile, 60th percentile. The transition, 90th percentile, but uh, the last three were 26, 25, and 24 possessions. So sample size was small. I think you, I think you put a, a good point on it, which was about the finishing. I noted that I think the finishing skill is there. I looked at his numbers and the. Uh, you know, on the shot chart, it's not that nice. It's 49%, which is below average, but uh, I'm pulling up now on hoop math who I've always used them. And it's, yeah, it's actually very similar for 51% uh, at the rim. It's, it's not much better. That is really low. That's usually what small guards finish at. So the numbers aren't there, but I think this kind of comes back to what we said at the beginning, the stats really underrate him because he was playing a, a role. He wasn't intended to be playing. Uh, he's in the NBA, a six, eight wing that can run pick and roll. I think he's very efficient in pick and roll sets that they ran for him, both as a scorer for himself and setting up others for easy looks. And one thing that makes him so skilled out of the pick and roll is that he can pass with both hands and he has really good vision and he is ridiculously patient. I think that helped him as a passer in college because this tempo is a little bit slower. He could be even more patient and wait for the perfect play to, to come in um, into action. So I really like what he brings as an offensive player kind of going into the cons. My main thing, there's two things for me and they kind of go hand in hand. I think he lacks explosion, especially for someone six, eight, you're looking at a guy who um, we'll get into comparisons in a minute, but I mean, like very similar to Kyle Anderson, the frame, the lack of explosion. The difference though, is that I think he's a bit stiff defensively where his hips can just freeze on him at any given moment. And that kind of worries me. I don't know what you think of his defense and some of his other weaknesses, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, I think there are players that can expose him a little bit uh, defensively because you mentioned he gets upright and stiff. Uh, that said, he rated as a very good isolation defender. Uh, I think a lot of his isolation issues defensively came on switching onto small guards. I don't think he's necessarily a guy who switches one through five. Like that's everyone's appeal, but very few people actually do that. But I think he guards two through four fairly well. Uh, he's very strong. I think he's a stronger player than Kyle Anderson is. and Or especially at that same stage when Kyle Anderson was coming out of UCLA, I think Harrison Ingram at 18, 19 years old is far, uh, far more physical. And the other thing I'll say is he's, he's active and he's aware defensively. He he's rotates very well. His off-ball defense is really good. And Stanford's defense is a pack line, meaning that he doesn't get a lot of steals. So if you're worried about like, oh, he's 6'8", he doesn't have a ton of steals, that's something I don't think you should be too worried about because he's always in the right spots. And even then he gets his hands on a lot of basketballs. And then one thing I want to add about offense where we're talking about cons. Um, I think sometimes he's so determined to uh, get his way to the perfect spot. He passes up on shots that I think will be more evident and frequently available for him at the NBA level. Um, whereas in the college, he was the, the best individual creator on Stanford. And so I think one of the cons as a pro for his, his pro game is that he won't have to do that. 
And so a lot of the shots will be cutting or spot ups as opposed to pump fake one dribble, get to the mid post and shoot tougher shots, which really hurt his percentages. And I think the fact that he was able and forced to do that will actually help him in the long run. And it'll be a, it'll be a con in terms of his percentages in the scouting report, but I think it'll be a pro in the long run for his pro career. Yeah. And something to think about when scouting players like these, these guys who are first options in college, but absolutely have no business being a first option in the NBA is you have to look at what they're actually going to do. I mean, the post-ups, let's be real. The post-ups are going to be so minimal. And that was one, it was like his fourth highest play run in college or fifth highest, something like that. That is nowhere near what'll be, what'll actually be the truth in the NBA for him. If he's posting up, it's because he's got someone tiny on him. Uh, that is the only reason, like if he's got like Trey Burke on him or something, yeah, go ahead and post him up. But other than that, it's not going to happen. And that's not something that happens probably 25 times in an NBA season for a role player like Harrison Ingram. I, I like how, and, and one other thing actually, and I, I like how you brought up the off-ball defense and the, the motor pretty much. I think that's important to note. The only other con I would bring up is, uh, you know, just the shot. It's slow. It's a set shot. Um, that That's a... Uh, that, that's kind of a weakness for me. I, I'm iffy about those kind of guys, but ultimately I do think that he can improve in the touches there. I think he has good follow through and everything, but um, let's, let's do kind of, we do this on every time I do a scouting report, expect like the expected role, worst case, best case. And then if you want throw a comparison in there and where you think he'll get drafted uh, for me, I think the comparison I already touched on Kyle Anderson, I think it's the perfect comparison, but um, let's talk about the uh, best case, worst case, and expected role. I'm interested to hear your thoughts. Best case is that you, you get a fifth starter, a fifth starter who uh, can can fill in and be a 12 points a game, six rebounds, and by midway through his career, and he plays solid defense and he's a very good team player. And I think uh, the most likely case is he's like a sixth or seventh man who plays good defense and he plays similarly on a better team. And so if he's on a good team, I think you can move him lower into his minutes, but he'll, his effectiveness will rise. And I think worst case is that his shooting doesn't improve. And now he's just a solid athlete, but not an explosive one. And someone that plays, you know, ninth, 10th man on a solid team. Uh, And he could always contribute on bad teams, but I, I see his game style contributing more and helping more on a, uh, on a good team than one that is striving to rebuild. And then a comparison, you mentioned Kyle Anderson. I think that's a really good one. Uh, I kind of see, and this one, this one's a little out there. I kind of see a worse shooting Sadiq Bay. Uh, also just the way that they're built, uh, neither explodes out of the gym, but, uh, they're very solid. They have good footwork. They, they jump stop, they, um, defend and especially they smartly defend. They're not going to overwhelm you physically. Uh, the difference is Sadiq Bay can shoot the lights out. And I think Harrison Ingram's never going to get to that level of shooting, but I think he's a slightly better athlete version of Kyle Anderson and not as good a shooter as Sadiq Bay. So those are kind of my two. Yeah, I like that. I like that. And uh, I would touch on the the worst case, best case. I, I think I agree with the best case. The worst case, I actually think he's out of the league. If he can't shoot, that's a, that's a make or break thing. I, I think I know it's very blunt, but I think if he's not shooting the ball, uh, even like, I mean, if that 31% number is it, I'm going to have a hard time. I, I don't know if he's going to be a good enough to def- defender and passer combo to make up for it and actually earn consistent minutes. I, I think that jump shot's a, a massive swing skill. Where do you think he gets drafted? The last five picks of the first draft, and then maybe I mean, that's probably where I would say is, is, 
is the most likely. And, and I could see him going to like kind of in that 25 to 35 range is kind of where my thought process is. I would, I would pick him around there and I could see a team getting happy with like, Oh, wow. We got a six, eight freshman that we get, who was forced to play on ball. And now we'll have him play off ball. I could see a team falling in love with him, taking him before then. And I could see people being worried by his shot and taking him below 35, but I think 25 to 35 is kind of the range where he'll likely hear his name called. Yeah, I think he I think his best case is like 29th or 30th pick and then he could fall down in the 40s. I, I really do wonder how the, the stats just don't favor him and the stats plus eye test like with the athleticism in terms of that definitely doesn't do him any favors. So I could see him kind of falling in that regard. But uh, that was our Harrison Ingram scouting report out of Stanford. On the other side, we're going to talk about J.D. Davison from Alabama, the explosive guard and what we like and don't like, kind of do the same thing with J.D. Davison. But first, let me tell you about Shady Rays. Shady Rays is an independent sunglasses company that gives you the features of $200 sunglasses for a fraction of the price. That means polarized lens, well-constructed, durable frames, and premium high-end finishes. Also, something you won't find anywhere else is Shady Rays' insane protection program. Shady Rays includes lost and broken protection on every pair. They will send you a brand new pair if you lose them, no matter what happened. Give them a try. And if you don't love them, you'll pay nothing. It's as simple as that. Plus, 10 meals are donated to fight hunger in America when you shop with Shady Rays. Exclusively for our listeners, head to ShadyRays.com and use promo code LOCKEDON with one word, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, to get 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. That's code LOCKEDON for their best deal of the season. 50% off two or more pairs of Shady Rays sunglasses, backed by over 150,000 verified five-star reviews. So back with Leaf Tulin filling in for Rafael Barlow as he makes his way back to the States for draft season. Uh, We are going to do another NCAA player. This one um, out of the SEC, we just did Pac-12 player. We're kind of swapping around the conferences. We'll make our way back to the Pac-12, but we're going to start this part portion with J.D. Davison. J.D. Davison was an intriguing uh, high school prospect. He was top 10 recruit last year. He's a one-and-done freshman Average eight and a half points per game, 4.3 assists, 4.8 rebounds a game, one steal a game, had three turnovers a game, which is really high. That was on 46% shooting. Then you get to the three-point shooting, it was 30%, and then free throw percentage is lower than where you'd want it at 73%. Leaf, kick us off with J.D. Davison, because I know you've recently started to dive into him. What are your thoughts? Let's start with the pros, and then we'll make our way to the cons. Right, the first pro explosive he is like I watched him in person against Notre Dame uh, in the first round of the NCAA tournament and you could see that his first step and his bounce when attacking the rim was elite uh finishing wise he left some to be desired but that's fixable I think uh he's a good isolation player and he's a good perimeter defender and I think those are all traits that you want in a guard especially someone that won't necessarily be given the reins to your offense. Like immediately he can have potential and you say, well, if you're a backup, like we want you to be good on defense. We want you to have a good first step. And and I think those are the pros. And I think his form is solid. The shot is not quite there in my opinion, but uh, his form is solid. That gives you a good basis to work with, especially because he's young and uber athletic. Yeah, I'm, I'm not as big on his form. I, it's mostly the base. I think the release is good. The jump shot release itself is good. But the bottom half where I, I just feel like 
I'm not a fan of big boxy jumpers. Uh, so the reason why I was a little bit lower on Jalen Green's jump shot, I think it, that kind of stuff, it, you present yourself with obstacles that are a little bit unnecessary. Um, but that's a con. I'll get to that. But I absolutely, everything you're going to hear almost starts with the explosiveness and the athleticism. Defensively, he has crazy quick feet. He can move very well on the perimeter. He has great quick change of direction when he's driving. When he's in transition, he can go left, right, left, left, right. He's a windshield wiper in transition. He's all around and he's really hard to stop that way. And then above that, he's also an explosive finisher that can finish above the rim with a head of steam. And we've seen it a little bit in half court, definitely seen it in the full court. Uh, and then also the other big skill for me is passing. I think he really knows how to exploit defenses. And while I did criticize the turnovers, the three a game, a lot of that does come from the, the daringness, I guess, of willing to try crazy things as a passer where he's trying to thread the needle a little bit too much. And honestly, I'd rather have those mistakes than fundamental mistakes where it's like, really, you couldn't like, like you traveled or something like that, but he passes out of drives really well. I think he has good vision. He knows where his teammates are. I'm confident in those two things, the athleticism and playmaking. Now, unfortunately um, I'll kick off some of the cons and I'll let you take over from there, but the turnovers are an issue. Obviously he has really short arms. I mentioned the quick feet defensively, but the wingspan is going to hold him back. I just, I can't see him measuring more than plus one or plus two at the absolute most. And he's already a little bit, undersized at um he's listed at six three but i personally don't see him as that tall and then the other thing i mean it just really comes down to anything with shooting the jump shot needs to be more consistent his floater is really flat it's a line drive i'd like to see him get some more arc but if he can learn to score i think that's a big swing skill talk to me about what you see in the negatives from your research yeah, i've got a couple and I, I think you hit on a few uh first of all i think you made a really good point about his form uh on the jump shot i was speaking just solely about the top half of his jumper but i agree about his bottom the base is too wide and he jumps i, I think he jumps too high in his jump shot and he releases it late personally um one thing that he should excel in is transition because of his athletic profile but he's only 42nd percentile in transition alabama runs a lot so uh, that concerns me, the fact that he missed a lot of fin easy finishes around the rim. That could be fixable, but that should be something he should excel in. In the half court, he was only 29th percentile, and that's where when the game slowed down and he had to create all of his offense off of just beating people uh, because he, play he played the point at times, and the scoring was coming from Shackelford and uh, Kinnerly at times, so meaning that he had to facilitate, and his scoring wasn't coming off of attacking catches. It was coming just off of his creation. And sometimes he really struggled there. And I think you mentioned an important thing about his passing off of drives being good to shooters, but the, he, he often missed roll guys. He's only 29th percentile in pick and roll. And I think he, he did a far better job going right than left. Sure, some of that could be schematics, like Alabama wanted him getting to his right hand, but he went to his right far more frequently than he did his left and more effectively. And uh, I would say the fact that he's only, you said like he's listed at 6'3", I would be shocked if he's above 6'2". If you have a 6'2 guy whose main trait is athleticism, is shooting his questionable, and his creation has flaws, I, I'm a little tentative to take him despite the athletic profile he presents. Yeah, and I think that speaks to kind of – that's actually a very good segue um, into some of this. First of all, it's similarities, and then also just kind of projected draft range. And again, the, the best case, worst case, and the role that we expect, uh, starting with the – similarities in terms of uh, the play style. I mean, I see a ton of Dennis Smith Jr. in him. The quick feet on defense helps him be, can hold, he can hold his own at times. I know a lot of Mavs fans kind of overhyped his defense 
and saying like, oh, he's a really good defender. And he had flashes of actually being a good defender. But the issue is, is he, he was hidden in a way by Rick Carlisle where he put him on guards who were similarly sized. And that's where I think J.D. Davidson will absolutely thrive. He can stay in front of his man and be a pest, uh, be a pest, excuse me, be pesky. And I think that's ultimately a big thing for J.D. Davison. However, you switch him on to a two guard, you put him on Devin Booker, he has no chance. I mean, obviously, it's an all first team, potentially all NBA guy. Uh, but even, you know, I, I don't know if he can hang with guys on defense like Jordan Clarkson. So that kind of stuff scares me uh, to kind of tone it down a little bit. But what uh, what are your best case, worst case roles and uh, the excuse me, expected role? And then where do you see him going in the draft? is that he ends up being a kind of spark plug sixth, seventh man type of guy. I don't see him quite as a starter. Uh, maybe I'm just lower than the consensus. I think he could he could be able to score and run an offense with, with pace and be on a quick-tempoed backcourt off the bench on some team. I think my worst case is he struggles to find a spot in the league. I don't know if he, he doesn't make the league uh, like in a, long, in a long-term situation, but you mentioned Dennis Smith Jr., and I would say Dennis Smith Jr. is a better athlete than J.D. Davidson. And he's he's struggling to find a spot in the league after five years. And I think there were skills he had as an individual scorer that were better than what J.D. has. J.D. may have a may have played on a better team, so he didn't have to score. We didn't see him score at the same level. But I think he's going to struggle scoring against the length and athleticism in the NBA because I saw him against Notre Dame, and he was missing a lot, a lot of finishes against a, a relatively under – athletic front court of Paul Atkinson and Nate Leshevsky. Um, that was one game, but that was in person. It struck me. Um, and then I don't really have a comparison for him. Uh, I think Dennis Smith Jr. was a good one. I don't have anything that's terribly creative for, for that. But in the draft, I, I, I have him in my mid-second round. I, I don't have him as a first round, even though a lot of people seem to. Uh, I, just, I just think he needs to shoot better or finish better because defense can only take you so far when, when you're not really a true point guard, in my opinion. Um, so I, I'm a little lower than the consensus on him. I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Yeah, I, I think he's, I, I'm also with you. I mean, I, I wouldn't touch him at the first round pick. The swing skill for me is really, does he have a basketball key that can sustain um, staying in, I mean, just can the passing volume of assists go up while the turnovers either stay the same or go lower? I don't know. I think that's going to be a good function of the basketball IQ because I really don't know. I don't know if it's good or bad. So to me, it kind of screams neutral. Um, but I think that's going to be a big swing skill. I don't even think the jump shots it. I think it's really when you look at Dennis Smith Jr., the reason he's not latching on is because to be blunt, I mean, the <laughs> the feel for the game has been really weak. I mean, that that's something that has been an issue in Dallas. He couldn't play with another guard. I think that's a huge indicator of basketball IQ and feel for the game is can you play with someone who is similar to you how do you adapt things like that and Dennis Smith couldn't do that so uh enough about DSJ but can JD Davison do it and you brought up some good points the the team that JD Davison had at Alabama kind of actually showed flashes that he could I mean because the way they played with Quinterly and uh and Shackleford you know there were a lot of guards there were a lot of mouths to feed on that team so it was a little bit tough but uh, ultimately I see him going in the uh in in the second round i'd honestly be shocked if he goes within the first 10 picks but uh interested if you have any other thoughts or uh, or if that's it for you yeah i comprise it but I'm, I'm eager to tell you guys about athletic greens uh, that's our that's our next partner and i have they have a product i use literally every day i started taking ag1 because i wanted better gut health more energy and wanted to see what the hype was all about 
What is this stuff? What? Delicious scoop of AG1. You're absorbing 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, probiotics, and adapted adaptogens um, to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients forces your gut, uh, supports and forces your gut health to improve. Your nervous system, your immune system, your energy recovery and focus and aging, all the things that I'm eager to improve are improving. I was a big package of it not too long ago and made it part of my daily routine to improve my gut health. And, and I recommend it to all my friends, Richard included. Why take it daily? It contains less than one gram of sugar. AG1 is a small micro habit with a big, with a big load of benefits. It's one thing you can do every single day to take great care of yourself. And if you're worried about the price, don't be. It costs you less than $3 a day. If you're investing in your health, it's cheaper than your cold brew habit. It's cheaper than getting all the different supplements yourself. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five treatments five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash NBA network. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash NBA network to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. It's that time of the year again. A lot of people are giving up on their new year's resolutions, but if this year you are sticking with your new year resolution to eat right, it's probably because of Built Bar. Uh, it almost it almost feels probably like a, uh, a not a resolution because for people like me, I mean, I've kept my resolution, so I can't I can't say and my resolution was literally just kind of keep doing the same. I go to the gym every day and I feel like now I'm flexing. But a big part of this is the built bars. I mean, I, I enjoy eating these and it, it's it's keeps off these uh, the sweet tooth I have while actually being pretty healthy for me. Uh, Leaf, I don't know what your favorite built bar flavor is, but. Uh, I'm going to, I'll let you go because I, uh, we probably have the same answer. I feel like mint chocolate. Nope. We don't have the same answer. All right. I love the cookies and cream. <laughs> I love the cookies and cream, but I know they, uh, they just sent us some puffs, uh, which are the first ever protein infused marshmallow, which I'm an absolute sucker for. Uh, this is a dream collaboration come true. They're fluffy. They're marshmallowy. They're not just a protein bar. They're a treat and they're covered in hundred percent real chocolate. Uh, all built bars are covered in 100% real chocolate. Yes, puffs included. And again, 100% real chocolate. Built bars are low calorie, high protein. They replace, you can replace your candy bar with these. They are better and they are definitely less calories. A typical candy bar can be anywhere from two to 300 calories. As someone who used to eat uh, many, many candy bars, I can assure you that the calorie intake is much lower from this. But go to built.com and scroll down to the macros chart. You'll be blown away. High protein, low calories, high fiber, low carbs. And most built bars contain 130 calories, four grams of sugar, four net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. Compare that to a candy bar, which usually has 240 calories, 30 grams of sugar, and dozens of net carbs. I feel more bloated just reading this. But at Built Bar, they're all about taste. They make it delicious first and then figure out how to make it healthy. And I don't know how, but they pull it off every time. So for an exclusive offer, go to built.com, use promo code LOCKED15 and get 15% off your order. Use promo code L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5 for 15% off at built.com. Welcome back to Locked on NBA Draft. We are going back to the Pac-12 to go over Leaf Tolene's guy, Daylon Terry. He is one of the biggest advocates on draft Twitter for Daylon Terry. If you don't know Daylon Terry, Leaf will introduce him a little bit more, but he's a 6'7", 195 lead guard, uh, combo guard, 
one way or another, he's a guard. He was Pac-12 all defense. And as a sophomore, he averaged eight points per game, four rebounds, or excuse me, four assists per game, five rebounds a game, 1.2 steals per game, and only 1.4 turnovers per game. And that was on 50% shooting, 36% from three, and 74% from the free throw line. Leaf, this is all you, man. Talk to us why you why you like Daylon Terry and why he should be climbing draft boards. The the pitch for Daylon Terry is spearheaded by how good Herb Jones has been this year. So I know they're not perfectly one to one. For instance, Herb Jones is a little bigger. He's a little uh, thicker. He's he played four years and he was the point guard, the true point guard for Alabama. That was a top sixteen. Well. If you want to compare college analysis here, um, Dalen Terry was effectively the point guard for a team that arguably was the best team in college basketball for the entire year in Arizona. Uh, he played with NBA talent much like uh, Herb Jones did. And it's just he's the ultimate glue guy. I'll take you through some numbers. I know we don't want to bore you with too many numbers, but a couple of them are, are just really impressive. Uh, he is unbelievable in transition. He's 91st percentile. Uh, he was the lead assist guy for an Arizona team that was – top one or two in the country in assists. Um, he's an, uh, an average spot-up shooter, which I think he's got potential because this form is solid. I just think he needs more repetitions in that. Uh, he also had a very low um, percentile in pick and roll, but I went through and watched every single pick and roll he ran all season. And I think it boils down to one thing. Schematically, I think that's something that teams wanted to take away. And so they picked him up early and didn't let him go downhill. And so he had to jump stop and shoot some mid-ranges. I don't think he shoots any mid-ranges at the next level. You take that out of his game and you say, wow, well, offensively, you know, you're a good passer and you excel transition. Well, what, what do you do really well? Defense. He's unbelievable on defense. Defensively, Dalen Terry is excellent in, in isolation defense and his Isolation defense numbers actually were lower than you think. And I went through and watched every single isolation defensive possession he played on the season. And there were only three, I counted three, where the person scored on him where he was he was directly responsible. One was a face-up three. One was a bank, sh- bank shot two from Johnny Juzang. And one was a drop, uh, drop step spin move from Spencer Jones of Stanford where he just got – he took the wrong angle and the spin was a nice counter. Dalen Terry stays in front of his man. He, he – makes point guards through small forwards really uncomfortable with the ball. He's one of the best off ball defenders in terms of gambling for steals and coming up with steals. And that contributes to his um, prowess in transition. And he's just that guy you really want on your team because he rebounds, he steals the ball, he shoots at a competent level. He makes your best players better and he doesn't ask for numbers himself. I'm a jazz fan. I'll fully admit this. If the jazz were to sneak into the second round trade for a pick, I would love to take Dalen Terry because well, he could boost his stock and go back to school. I think there's a market for him in the NBA because of what Herb Jones has done and said, and you play good defense, you get a few steals, and you're unselfish, and teams will come calling for you. So that's my pitch for Dalen Terry. Yeah, I like it. And the reason I let you go is I'll, I'll be 100% honest. I, I don't like doing the, you know, I've seen like 40% of what I actually want to see of him. I don't want to talk out of my ass and just be like, oh, well, you know, this is this because the numbers say something that I have no idea what I'm saying. So I'm letting you dominate this uh, intentionally. So the one concern I have, this has always been my thing with Dalen Terry, why I've held back on him is the jump shot form is a little bit weird. Uh, I was curious of what you think of the jump shooting translating to the NBA. I think he'll become competent. I think his form um, as a sophomore is better than Herb Jones's form as a senior. Herb Jones amounted to being a 
38% three-point shooter this year um, for the Pelicans. I'm not saying that they're one-to-one prospects, but I think that's the, the type of trajectory you want to take a gamble on because he's younger and he plays a similar style. Um, his shot, uh, my concern for him, like you said with J.D. Davison, is he's got kind of a boxy base. I think Dalen Terry out into a shot. I'm not saying you should jump five feet forward like Garrison Matthews, but he just goes straight up and he doesn't necessarily release the ball on time necessarily. And I watched him against uh, TCU in one of the best games. I'm sorry, sorry, Richard, because you're a TCU guy, but that he he changed the game. Like the reason that Arizona won that game was Dale and Terry. Uh, I know Benedict Matherin got all the all the hype. Coloco had 24 and something. Dale and Terry pressured Mike Miles for the last half of the game. He got two steals in transition, and he hit one three in, uh, in the corner. I, I think. If you're if you're to say that the shooting the weakness is a weakness, I think it's a weakness that you can gamble on getting better. And Dalen Terry's defense and secondary ball handling and facilitating is something that you can overlook because you don't necessarily want him to be your best shooter. And you can just we've talked about this in our podcast uh, that that we had two weeks ago. If you get a live wire defender um, and you have him on offense, you don't need to have him play strong side corner and be a shooter. You can have him be a cutter play the dunker spot, be an off ball cutter and influence the game defensively with, and, and hide them offensively. If his shooting, it really is that woeful. And I'm not sure it'll be to that extent either. Yeah. And I think just from an outsider looking in kind of thing on Terry, when you first look at him, six, seven can kind of shoot, can handle the ball and lights out defense. The two things that just stand out to me is jump shots naturally get better. You usually don't see players, especially underclassmen, you don't see their jump shots get worse. So if his jump shot does improve, even say I'm ballparking here, just completely throwing a number out 20%, he gets 20% better as a shooter. What does that look like while he's adding strength and getting stronger? What does that kind of number look like and, and what kind of player is that? And I think that's a starter in this league. Um, again, I haven't seen, I haven't dived into him. That's why I'm kind of reserving some thoughts, but, uh, from the initial thoughts I've gotten from the two games I've seen of him and I haven't focused on him as much as I have Mather. And that's why I'm also, again, taking the backseat. But, um, I, I do think someone like that could easily stick in the NBA. And honestly, with the way he had it, I, I liked his NCAA tournament. I could see with a lot of GMs getting their first taste of him. I could see him climbing up to borderline first round pick status. Where do you see him? going in the in the draft potentially i think because he's still a raw prospect that if he stays in the draft and i, I want to preface that with an if i think he could really improve his stock by going back to arizona being the guy and um, as a pick and roll facilitator improving that maybe shooting five percent better from three and he becomes a surefire first round pick in my opinion i think right now he's kind of, his range is about 35 to 50 in the draft and the reason i remain very confident in his ability is there are not players that are really good defenders that don't have awful shots that don't really stick uh, when they're young and they can pass the ball and rebound the ball. I, I think his makeup is something that you, you, we talked about this with Harrison Ingram. I'll put it this way. Harrison Ingram, we talked about how he was forced to play a role that is not one he'll play in the NBA. And I think it could be helpful, but people will frown upon it. Dalen Terry is playing the exact role he'll play in the NBA, but to a higher degree because of there's fewer good players on Arizona than there will be on an NBA team, despite how good they were. Uh, he knows his role perfectly. He grew up playing with Evan Mobley. He grew up playing with stars all around. He knows how to serve a team with without his, his number being called, and he'll always play good defense. He'll always pass the ball. 
He'll rebound the ball. And I think any team that is is going to draft and trying to add to a solid team, 35 through 50, uh, will we'll appreciate that skill set. And I think you could get a guy who can be a bench player early in his career and later in the career could be a starter and a key glue guy to a contending team. Yeah, I, I think uh, the only way he doesn't translate is really if like the jump shooting somehow falls off a cliff and that, you know, the, the free throw percentage isn't exactly high, 74%, but also most guys at 74%, unless they're three-point percentage, like the, the three-point percentage just doesn't, there's really no indication that he would fail, right? Like last year, he got he got a lot better overall as a shooter. He went from 61% to 74% from the line, 33% to 36 as an overall shooter, and went from 41 to 50% overall field goal percentage. There's no real indication for me that he would just suddenly go backwards. So I don't think that shooting is a reason to fail, and that's why I, I ultimately agree. I think he should get his volume, be the top junior of next year's class, and come back. But if he were to come out this year, I do think he could flirt with a first round pick. Um, I, I don't know about you, but uh, that, that's pretty much my final takeaway. Let me know if you, uh, if you have any thoughts about the draft uh, projection range, and then also just kind of comparison, anything like that. And then we'll wrap this up. I think my main comparison I've, I've said is, is Herb Jones. Uh, they're slightly different because Herb's a little bigger than he is. But I think the idea of playing facilitator in college and then just defender and ultimate glue guy in the NBA is is really projectable. And obviously Herb Jones fell into the perfect situation. It's become a, a really high-level rotational piece on a team that's in the play-in games um, immediately as a rookie. And I'm not saying necessarily Dalen Terry does that imidi- immediately, but I think he's got the potential to. Uh, I, I would say as a Jazz fan, and the, the need for an athlete is a glaring, glaring hole. I, this is someone that and the Jazz are a really good basketball team. I want to say that. I think not many teams would say, wow, we have, a, we have a couple better athletes than this guy. So I think most teams would want him for that. And I think that's where he's, his, his niche on a basketball court is a desirable one. And I think he's got a really uh, accommodating game to fill those, those voids for a lot of teams. So I'm, I think he, if he goes into the draft, it won't be a mistake. But I think he could improve his stock at the same time by returning to Arizona. Yeah, I think that's almost a perfect outlook. Leaf. You always do a good job of uh, filling in for the guys that I think a lot of people are lesser on or less aware of. You do a great job of uh, providing the college insight and, you know, giving context, which I think a lot of people miss in uh, in draft analysis, myself included. I do it I completely. It's part of the process. You overthink, underthink certain things, but you always do a good job. I think this is your specialty is, you know, you know, the college game so well, and then you're good at also knowing the NBA. I mean, you work with uh, by association, uh, and I'm probably twisting this, but like somewhat with the Utah Jazz, and you have a good understanding, you're around the team all the time. So you know both ends, which helps a ton. So give Leaf a follow. It's at Leaf Tulene. Uh, it's also in the bio of this episode. Uh, he deserves way more followers. It should be skyrocketing any minute now, but uh, that'll do it for our episode. Thank you so much for making Locked On NBA Big Board your first listen every day. Now make Locked On NBA. Your second listen, they will cover the play-in tournament. Uh, the seven, eight seeds played last night, the Cavs and Nets and then Wolves, Clippers. They'll be recapping that all under 30 minutes. But go ahead and do that. Thank you so much for listening to us. Raphael will be back for uh, the next episode and next week. This is uh, a fill-in again as he moves back to the States. But thank you again for making us your first listen of today. Thank you and have a good rest of your week and enjoy Raphael's content for the rest of the week.